All right, everybody, good morning. All right, everybody, good morning. Am I on? I'm on. Great. All right, welcome to Remnant. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are, um, I, I talk about this a lot, um, but we basically are a group of people who, well, I can at least speak for myself. Somebody, I, I thought for at least 18 years of my life that I was God, that I didn't need a God, and that if God would just align with what I already know to be the best, that things would be better. Um, and at some point, uh, I drove my life into a ditch. And uh, the one thing that was obvious above all else was that I was unqualified for the job that I had taken on, and I wasn't God after all. And so one Sunday Easter, I stumbled into a place like this, and I began to hear about the real God. And I came to mock and laugh at people that were so weak that they needed a God. Um, and within an hour, found myself on the floor begging God to save me. Since that time, one of the things that has been a major change in my life is the moment that I acknowledged with God that his word is true. That it's the only source of truth, that there's no other source of truth. And we can't read into the word what's not there. Uh, and we have to accept God's word as truth, even if we disagree with it, because he's God and I've learned the painful lesson that I'm not. And so we come here every week and what we learn is that, that our job is to surrender, to surrender our pride, our arrogance, ourselves, to, to open ourselves up to God and allow him to change who we are from the inside. I became a new person, not because I made better choices, not because I decided to change my life, but because something inside of me began to change. I'm literally not the person I used to be. And so I come back every week and I try to learn more. I try to surrender more. I try to understand more. I thank God for what he's done in my life. And I want him to do that for everybody. And so that's why we're here. If you see, if you're new here and you wonder what happened, we're just a group of messed up people who've been changed by the word of God. And we can't explain it, but we can sure be grateful for it. And we didn't do it to ourselves, it happened to us, it continues to happen to us. And one of the truths of God's word is that he doesn't want his children to not know the future. In his word, he tells us what's going to happen in the future. We've been studying that, I think we're on like week 18 now. What in the world is going on? Well, God tells us. And we're in the middle of some judgments and we've talked about how Revelation as a book is easy to understand if you've read the other books. But there's almost nothing in the book of Revelation that hasn't already been talked about in Daniel or Ezekiel or Genesis or, or any of the other books. It's a complete narrative from beginning to end. All the themes run through the Bible and they culminate in Revelation. Now notice the book is Revelation, not Revelations. There's only one revelation, and that's Jesus Christ himself. He's the one being revealed in Revelation. Now, we know that the uh, disciple John has, has a vision, and he's trying to show us, trying to explain to us what he's seeing in this vision. And we're almost halfway through the seven-year tribulation. If you missed all this stuff, it's all online. You can, you can watch it. You can go to podcasts. You can do a lot of things. But there's a seven-year period of tribulation that the Bible says is going to happen. And at this point, the believers of the church have been raptured. New believers have been martyred. They're actually in heaven asking God, when are you going to bring justice? The sealed judgments have been completed. People are literally trying to kill themselves on earth and they can't. They're crying out for the rocks to fall on them and they can't. They know they can't stand the wrath of God and it hadn't even really started yet. Both heaven and earth have stood still in this kind of collective gasp before what's about to happen. We had the seal judgments. We went through seven of them in the last two weeks. In the last one, it says there was silence in heaven. Overwhelming sense of impending doom. Something is about to happen. It's almost as if those in heaven, don't, they almost can't look. They, can't, they don't want to believe what's about to happen. Seventh seal is open. The scroll can now be opened. 
And that within the last seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. Each judgment more severe than the one before it. Millions have died. Millions have been martyred for Jesus. Remember, we saw last week a multitude too numerous to count who came out of the first half of the tribulation as believers surrendered to God and who were martyred. Last week we talked about how God had identified 144,000 Jewish witnesses who were poised to oppose the arrival, the, the revelation of the Antichrist. Now during the first half of tribulation on earth, during the first three and a half years, the world's been at peace. The temple in Jerusalem has been rebuilt. Even though many catastrophic events occurred as the seals were released, the Antichrist has been identified as a world leader. Not yet as the Antichrist, but as the savior of the world. He signs a peace treaty. He's consolidated the economy. He's brought together all the armies and all the weapons and put them in one place. He's prompted a one world religion out of Rome. A religion that we've discussed at length called humanism, the worship of man, power of human achievement. Many will see the Antichrist as a humble world leader, and many of the Jewish people will think he's their long-awaited Messiah. World peace, religious differences no longer exist. Those judgmental Christians were removed from earth for being intolerant. The Jewish temple's been rebuilt. Sacrifices and feasts have celebrated again. These are the things that they think the Messiah will do. With the blowing of the trumpets, the true nature, purpose, and intent of the Antichrist will be revealed to the world. They're going to find out that the first three and a half years was a lie. Now one of the key things that we've been repeating in these judgments is that every judgment is measured by God. The story of Revelation is not a story of God who's out of control in rage attacking the earth. That is not the story of Revelation. He's orchestrating everything that happens on earth. He's orchestrating everything that happens in heaven. He's sovereign. He's in control of it all. These, these judgments are not random. Every judgment is a specific judgment attacking a false idol. Very similar to the plagues in Egypt as God revealed to Pharaoh who he really is. You may not know this, but each of the ten plagues released by God on the Egyptians targeted one of their specific gods that they'd placed their trust in. They worshipped the god of the Nile, so God turned it into blood. They worshipped the god of the sun, so God made the world dark. They worship themselves, so God struck their firstborn. Essentially, we see each plague a false God being brought down as if God was saying to them, who do you think is God now? You want to worship creation as your God? Watch who really is in control of creation. And as the time for the trumpet judgment begins to approach, the world will have already experienced for years the frightening and relentless reality of God's wrath. They will know why things are happening and where they're coming from. As the seven-year tribulation unfolds, there's going to be wars and famines and plagues and earthquakes and celestial objects slamming into earth. None of that compares to the worldwide terror that's going to come when the Antichrist is fully revealed as the Antichrist. Each trumpet judgment is going to make things worse. The trumpets unleash and will hit the wicked people who are just crawling out of caves and rocks. Remember, they had just called out to the rocks to fall on them and kill them. To end their lives, and they can't. They're hiding from the fury of God's wrath, thinking that things are going to return to normal, but then they're going to be hit with some very fast-paced trumpet terrors, followed by what's even worse, the bowl judgments, where God's wrath is literally overflowing bowls in heaven and being poured out on those who remain on earth. 
Now remember, these people had just cried out to the rocks to save them. Even though they knew that the judgment and punishment was coming from God himself, they still refused to acknowledge God and they cried out to their creation to save them. They're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. In our culture today, just as God promised in scripture, people worship creation instead of God. They elevate things above the order that God has set. Puppies become more important than unborn babies. Endangered animals more important than endangered people. Hunting animals worse than hunting people. The planet more important than the people who live on it. Mother nature, the universe, the cosmos, the power that be, global warming, all idols, all denying the one true God. Think about how frustrating that must be for God. Everything on this earth has been given as a gift to us. Yet most deny he exists, much less gives us gifts. And you have to ask, when is this craziness going to end? When are gonna, people going to stop praying to the Grand Canyon and worship the Grand God? Well, with the first trumpet, that's when it's going to end. God will destroy the false God of Mother Nature. One judgment after the next, each one targeting our false gods. We're going to see that trumpet judgments cause damage to one-third of creation. Every trumpet hits one-third of creation. Now the question it comes up, obviously, what's the significance of one-third? And you can read, just spend, waste, whatever you want to call it, a whole afternoon looking that up. We don't know. But here's what I think we do know. At the end of the trumpets, one-third of the land, one-third of the sea, one-third of all fresh water, one-third of the sun, moon, day and night will be gone. But remember back in chapter 6 when the horses were unleashed. Remember early in Revelation, the four horses of the apocalypse? Look at this verse. When he opened the fourth seal, come, I looked, a pale horse, death, Hades followed him, given authority over a fourth of the earth. You see, I don't think the one-third matters as much except that God wants you to know it's building in intensity. That was a fourth, this is a third. Pretty soon it's going to be everything. So the judgments have increased in severity as we go forward. And as we move from the seals to the trumpets to the bowls, it's just going to get worse. Revelation 8.1 when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I don't know, that doesn't sound like a lot, but have you ever tried to sit silent for 30 minutes? I mean, if, if I just stopped preaching and said, hey, we're all going to sit here silent till 1130, you may jump up and down and be happy. But the truth is, it's going to get weird after about four minutes. Quietness has a dramatic impact on the sounds and the colors that have dominated the vision up to this point. Remember, John is trying to describe what he's seeing, and he's going, well, there's horses, and then the horses come to earth, and there's death, and then there's these judgments, and, the, and this, the seals are broken, and this happens, and that happens, and this happens, and that happens, and this happens, and then the stones try to follow, and they call out to God, but God won't do it, and then pause. Silence. Nothing. Silence of mystery and intense waiting. What is going to be next? What is about to be unleashed that literally made the heavens and the earth stop? It's the silence of sovereignty. It's communicated in a very dramatic way by God. You're about to see, after the quietness, the full and awesome authority of God. You're about to see the prayers answered. When the souls cried out, God, how long must we wait? You're about to see it happen. Everything has to wait until the king moves. Silence. Nothing happening on earth. Great earthquake. Fall on us, kill us, take us away. And then this eerie silence. It's incredible when you think about it. It reinforces that everything is under the control and authority of God. All creation must wait for the Lamb and His Father to give the trumpets to the angels. 
History is not some jumble of chances. This interlude is a portrayal of holy restraint, Sabbath of stillness that proves God's might. Revelation 8.2 Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angels. Now, it seems most likely, we don't know for sure, but these seven angels are likely the same angels that we saw in the lampstands that Jesus was walking amongst. They're given trumpets by God. Once again, God in sovereign control of everything. Here's the trumpet. You can't blow it yet. Now, we did an entire series on the Old Testament tabernacle and the location of the incense and the censer that took coals from one to the other and the various places of the altars. I refer you to that series if you want to understand more about these places. But what's happening in heaven is mirroring the temple and the priest's role on earth. You see, right in front of the veil, the veil that separated people from the holy of holies, there was an incense burner. And they wanted to fill the Holy of Holies with incense, with a fragrant aroma to God before the high priest on the high holy day went behind the curtain. And the reason they wanted to do that is they they believed that like incense rises up to heaven, the prayers of the people rise up to heaven. That you would never enter the presence of God without your prayers going first. Like the high priest in the holy place. He has a golden censer. It's, it's a fire pot. A, a, something you carry from one place to the other. From the altar of incense to the other areas of the, of the temple where you needed fire. On the day of atonement, the high holy day. The day when only one person could enter the holy of holies. The high priest. He was preceded by the smoke of incense. Which provided temporary covering for him as he entered the Holy of Holies before he could make the sacrifice with blood. It's the prayers of the people that protect him until the sacrifice can be made. Golden pan that is suspended on a rope or a chain and it's moved from the brazen altar to the altar of incense and and it symbolizes the prayers of the people and they would do this twice a day. The priest would take it morning and evening. He would make sure that the incense is constantly burning rising up to heaven. Now it's likely that this silence in heaven allowed everyone to focus on the prayers of the people. One thing about quieting your heart before God is that you know who God is. And you can silence yourself among the prayers. Now this uh, angel's given much incense to offer along with the prayers of the saints, we're told perfectly in keeping with the way the priests would work. What happens next, though, is what makes this unique. You see, this angel does something no one's ever done in the temple before. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. You see, the people had just gone through an earthquake. And then there's a moment where everything goes still and they think it's over. Wow, it's over. That was close. Like when the eye of the hurricane came over. That was close. But then, all of a sudden, just when you think everything's okay, nothing's happened for 30 minutes, it's been calm. And then thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Something's about to happen again. Remember, these are judgments. The prayers of the saints. Those crying out to God for justice. Remember, they're under the throne. God, when? When? When will you bring justice for what happened to us? Those prayers reach the throne of God. But this time, they round trip with judgment. 
You see, the prayers aren't just lifted up to God. They very much embrace the power of the throne of God and are hurled back to earth. You want to know if there's power in your prayers? Yes. As it rises up to heaven, it touches the throne of God. And on this day, the power of God's judgment will return the prayers of the people and they will be the ones crying for justice as God brings the world to order. The silence is broken with a boom. God is breaking up the world with the power of prayer. The prayers of the saints have been adding up day by day, event by event, and empowered with the full power of God, they're now hurled down to earth. The very thunder, rumblings, and earthquake announcing God's arrival and his judgment, and it's about to get worse. They cried out for justice, and on this day, with this trumpet, God is bringing it in a very real, powerful, full, complete way. Revelation 8, 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown down upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Okay, now a lot of people looked at that and said, wow, what does all that symbolize? Uh, trees, earth, and grass, probably. I mean, unless there's some reason to substitute something else, usually Revelation is what it is. Hail is frequently associated in Scripture with the judgment of God, as is fire. The combination of fire mixed with blood is commonly seen as God's judgment and was prophesied by Joel. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth blood and fire and columns of smoke. You see, Joel the prophet lived thousands of years before this day, but he looked ahead into the future. God gave him a vision and he says, look, I see blood falling from heaven. I see smoke, I see fire. And he's literally looking at this day. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Sounds like John is trying to describe what he's seeing. It's as if thousands of big meteors are striking the earth, impacting the earth and starting fires all over the place. God is bringing his judgment. He's not a passive bystander. This is not nature taking its course. This is not mother nature being a little bit upset. This is God in fury from his throne bringing judgment onto the physical earth. The God that many have been worshiping. God can bring whatever method he wants, but from this point forward in Revelation, there will be no doubt to any human inhabitant that what's happening here is from God. They are not merely natural disasters. It will be destruction of crops, the death of animals, massive scale, loss of wood for construction, destruction of watersheds, it's a fitting judgment for those who exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Fallen mankind has failed to recognize and honor God as creator, choosing instead to make their God out of the earth. But the environmental evolutionary pantheism that devalues man, elevates animals and plants, and ignores the creator will be severely judged with the first trumpet. You made your God nature, where's your God now, God says. You see, people today are very concerned about saving the environment. Depletion of the ozone layer and pollution and destruction of rainforests and global warming constantly in the news. There's a passionate concern to save endangered species. For many, protecting the environment has become far more of a concern than the health and safety of people. It's become an issue of idolatry. They worship Mother Nature trying to perpetuate the earth on their own as if they have control over it. There's no question that fallen man has failed it to properly care for God's creation. Please hear that. We have failed to do the job that God gave Adam in the garden. We have not taken care of God's creation. 
But the damage man has done to this earth pales in comparison to what God will one day do to it. Powerful judgments of the future time of tribulation will utterly devastate the earth. Wholesale, unimaginable destruction of the environment. True global warming. First four trumpets are described in a very straightforward manner. Far more detail is given about the last three that we're going to cover next week. The first four trumpets all deal directly with the earth. They don't symbolize political, social, or economic judgments. Those come later in Revelation. They they don't describe any judgment that's ever already occurred on earth. The trumpet judgments are actual, literal, physical events that will affect the entire earth. God will use nature itself to punish sinners in that day. We're going to see a similar pattern with the trumpet and bowl judgments as we go through the great tribulation. You want to worship the stars and get your guidance from them? Let me show you who's in charge of the stars. You want to worship the demonic? Let me show you what they really will do to you and who's actually in that power to come. Everything God does is with intent and purpose. These are not random judgments. They are specific judgments about specific idolatries that are prevalent in the end times. A few weeks ago, we looked at what Peter had to say about the end times. He spoke of scoffers who would say that Jesus is never coming back. He spoke about how a thousand thousand years is like a day. He spoke of water being stored up for the destruction of the earth. And in the last days, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter said there's a day coming. Fire has been stored up. In other words, God's wrath has been building and is storing up. His just wrath. Not out of control rage. Not out of control. Just wrath has been stored up for a day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The day of judgment that Peter said was coming now here with the trumpets. Fire from heaven is being stored up and hurled to earth. God is patient, hoping that everyone would turn back to Christ. Each seal judgment, each trumpet judgment, will you please return to me? But remember Peter's warning. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be exposed. He may as well have said the trumpets will blow because that's what's about to happen. And this is exactly what we're seeing with the trumpet judgment. Verse 8, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The first trumpet attacked the earth itself, the physical land. Now, the second one is the sea. God created the sea to be a blessing to mankind, to provide food, oxygen, water from rainstorms that gathered up from evaporation of the oceans. But people have repaid God's gracious provision with idolatry, suggesting that man evolved from some creature in the sea. Denying God's creation and giving the sea credit for it. And he has devastated the land and now it's time to judge the sea and those who worship the sea. Now this is evidently a giant meteorite, asteroid, surrounded by flaming gases, set ablaze by the friction of the atmosphere and on a collision course with Earth. We have meteor busters now, it ain't going to bust this one. The current doomsday scenario about an asteroid hitting Earth will come true with a vengeance on the second trumpet. You can put it in the calendar. It's going to happen. It's not a Hollywood fiction. Everyone will see it, whether live or on television, and the world's telescopes see it coming. There's many predictions. There'll be all kinds of ideas of where it's going to hit the Earth. It will strike somewhere in the oceans with a very powerful explosion, far greater than an atomic bomb. 
And because the world's oceans are all connected, the devastation from that hit will spread across one third of the ocean waters, causing a third of the sea to become blood. This impact will imagine the tidal waves, the tsunamis that follow. Destroy a third of the ships on the ocean, just capsizing them as if they're nothing. Completely swamping all the ports. The resulting disruption of commerce and transportation will cause economic chaos. The first two trumpets will bring judgment on both the land and the sea, and they are the final beginning of the catastrophe God is going to leash, unleash on an unbelieving world. Verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. First the earth, then the sea, now fresh water, the rivers, the streams. As the third angel sounded his trumpet, another object hurls towards earth. God, or John described it as the latest of the terrors and great signs from heaven. It'll be clear that this thing is coming from heaven. Luke 21, 11. There will be great earthquakes. And in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. The Greek word here for star can refer to any celestial body other than the sun and the moon. Massive object smashes into the ocean remains intact, disintegrates as it reaches the atmosphere, described as burning like a torch. We can see that, that it, we would understand that's it burning through the gases of the ozone layer. John didn't know what it was. He just said it's a big ball. It's on fire and it's burning. It's got a tail. This is also reminiscent of God polluting the Egyptians drinking water as well with the plagues. We have eruption under the sea. We now have what appears to be a giant meteorite striking the earth, crashing into it. Something huge, not the size of a car, more like the size of a country or a continent. Think about the craters that you see on the moon. They come from the impact force of meteors. There's an impressive meteor crater in Arizona. It was made by a meteor that was only five feet across. This is like the earth is going to be struck by a cue ball. Wormwood, used only here in the New Testament. It's a shrub. Leaves are used in the manufacture of a liquor that is so toxic it's banned in every country. Wormwood is mentioned eight times in the Old Testament, where it's associated with bitterness, poison, and death. In three of those uses, wormwood is connected to poison drinking water. Whatever the poison represented by the name Woodward is, it is lethal. A third of the fresh water in the earth will become poisonous. This is the reverse of the miracle at Marah, where the Lord made bitter water sweet. It's also reminiscent of the first plague of Egypt, when all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood and became unfit to drink. No human deaths were mentioned with the first two judgments, although they undoubtedly will cause all kinds of death on earth. The reason that you don't hear of all the people dying of these results in Scripture is the point God wants to make is these are attacks on specific idols in our world. The devastation caused by the first three trumpets will leave the earth's inhabitants in a stage of shock. And God's still not pouring out His wrath yet, His full wrath. We're only halfway through. The death of many are the result of these meteors, but the killing of sin sinners comes next. The fourth angel blew his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so a third of their light might be darkened. A third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. We've seen attacks on the earth. We've seen attacks on the sea, on fresh water, and now on the universe itself. And particularly the part of the universe that we identify most with, with the worship of the sun and the worship of the moon and the worship of stars. And God's bringing justice to that idol. As the fourth angel sounded, 
we turn to the heavens. The earth is still reeling from the effects of the first three. People will be desperately seeking answers to try to understand what's happened, to put their human spin, to try to stay in control of a world that's obviously not under their control. Imagine the fake news channels, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, they're all going to be going crazy, trying to explain with their pundits what's happening. There'll be seminars, there'll be emergency sessions of the United Nations, scientists will get on every TV show, all desperately and futilely trying to cope with the damage to the Earth's ecosystems that have come from the very judgment of God himself. In the midst of all activity comes a third, fourth disaster, the sun, the moon, the stars. Heavenly bodies are going to be hit with a plague from God, so a third of them will be darkened. Think about that. Sun comes up, but it's not as bright as it normally is. The night lasts longer. This partial eclipse is reminiscent of the ninth Egyptian plague. And it's only temporary. God is going to later increase the amount of heat coming out from the sun. However, right now, the sun will lose a third of its heat and the world will go into shutdown, a freezer. All the weather patterns, the seas, tides, violent, unpredictable storms and tides, the destruction of crops, the loss of animal and human lives, and worldwide freezing. Isaiah told us of this day. Isaiah 13, 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. That's happening with the trumpet judgments. Ezekiel also wanted us to know of this day. Verse 7, chapter 32, When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you, and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord. Jesus told us about this day. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The dimming of the celestial lights sets the stage for something much worse. This image comes next of a strong bird ready to attack its prey as God begins to unleash the last three trumpets. Revelation 8.13 Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. At the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. You see, God has brought judgment on the false idols. Now he's attacking humanism. You want to make yourself a god? Let me show you how futile that is. You want to worship yourself, you want to worship human ingenuity, you want to worship human mind power, you want to worship science, it's now turning to the remaining people on earth, all who are stiff-arming God, all who are in rejection of God, and he's about to bring their idols down, he's attacking themselves. We've only seen four trumpets. The three woes that are coming are even worse. The eagle flying overhead like a a bird ready to attack its prey. Woe to those who are still walking on the earth. The eagle flying over looking for everybody, knowing where everybody is. No one can escape. God's judgment is coming on the people now. His loud voice assures that they will be able to hear his pronouncements. The eagle says the last three are going to be far worse than anything you've seen so far. You see, when double woes are used for emphasis, you pay attention. When triple woes are used for emphasis, wow. This is the eagle saying, it's about to come down now. Eagle assessing its prey, ready to attack, looking through the world, nobody can hide. The last three trumpets are not targeted at creation, they're targeted at unbelievers. 
and a third of the inhabitants of those who remain on earth will die during these trumpets. As we learn next week, the first woe, the fourth trumpet, is a bunch of demonic locusts that torment unbelievers for five months. They can't stop. The locusts are constantly attacking them. The second woe involves the release of four fallen angels that kill a third of mankind. It also involves invasion by 200 million demonic horsemen that kill a third of mankind. The third woe, the worst one, is the rise of Satan's two henchmen. The beast, the Antichrist, that emerges out of the Mediterranean region and the false prophet who comes out of Jerusalem. At the final trumpet, every person on earth will know who the Antichrist really is. The Jewish people will be shocked to see their Messiah turn on them. And that's when the bowls of wrath begin. That's where we're headed. Notice that God's wrath and judgment this time is coming to people who dwell on the earth. Term for all those who've rejected the gospel. If you're on earth at this point, you've rejected the gospel. You may be beyond the point of return. They're going to acknowledge that the disasters that they're experiencing are coming from the hand of God. And they're still going to deny God. It's incredible. The eagle will give people one last chance to repent. It appears that those who go through the fifth trumpet without repenting may be confirmed forever in their unrepentant state. The angel's woes are real because a third of the earth is about to die. Now we see in the trumpet judgments that God is systematically dismantling the things that people have put their faith and trust in. These are not random acts of supernatural displays of power. They are supernatural displays of power, but they're very targeted. These are judgments. They're targeted. They're specific. They're only on those who deserve them. They're appropriate. They are in many ways limited. But they're judgments from God. God's not out of control. This is not God full of anger, spiraling in rage. He's careful, calculated, measured, just, and appropriate. He attacks the ordinary means of survival, food and water. Attacks the ordinary means of comfort and knowledge, light and the rhythm of days. During the great tribulation, God is proclaiming his lordship over everything. You see, when there's a great earthquake or a natural disaster, there's a moment when people realize that something is going on that's bigger than them. That, that someone else is in control and they're not. That feeling is going to be magnified across the earth and everyone will know that God is sovereign and still they will reject him. Now the first four judgments, although they sound horrible, they also reveal the mercy of God's judgments. These are partial, only a third. They're meant to warn and lead a rebellious world to repentance. For now, God spares more than he destroys. That's not going to be the case going forward. So he limits this to a third. Two thirds are okay. It's a message sent to the people. Each of the four trumpets judgments is going to affect the universe. And the fifth trumpet is going to focus from the physical to the spiritual realm. We're going to begin looking next week at the spiritual battles that occur in the heavens. So we have four of seven trumpets. Land, sea, river, sun, moon, all feel the weight of God's judgment. Calculated, appropriate, restrained, and just. Man will not go unpunished for worshiping creation instead of God. So after all God's done for them, the witnessing, the warnings, the obvious acts of God in their lives, how could they continually pull away and harden their hearts? I mean, think about it. These people have experienced the rapture. They watch believers leave. They're gone. 
They've experienced seven seal judgments and now four trumpet judgments, and yet they still haven't surrendered to God. God keeps showing them what he wants them to do, and they refuse. How can they do that? How can they be that stupid? Tread carefully here. Is there an area of your life where you know what God wants you to do, but you're pulling away from it? Trying to go your own way, trying to tighten that knot that's in your heart. Is God trying to draw you towards him in an area of your life, but you're resisting? Is God trying over and over to show you that he's sovereign and in control and can meet your needs, and yet you're pushing back? Is he trying to get your attention to get you to do what he's been telling you to do? It seems obvious when it's in the extreme, like during trumpet judgments, but it's also more obvious when it's somebody else. What when it's you? What if it's subtle? What area of your life is God poking his finger at right now, saying you're holding on to that, you need to release it to me? You see, that's an idol for you. It's keeping you from experiencing me, and I need you to move from where you are to where I want you to be. It could be your money, it could be your job, it could be an attitude, it could be many things. In what area of your life has God been increasing the tension and making the ugliness of your heart evident? Don't act like it's not there, we all have it. Is there an area of your heart that's keeping you from your first love? Maybe in a relationship. Maybe a sin only you and God know about and you keep trying to act like he's going to forget. And he's telling you, no, we need to talk about this. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're resisting a call to ministry. Or to forgive somebody. Or to confess a sin that you did to somebody. Maybe you need to ask your kids for forgiveness. Maybe you need to honor your father and mother. Maybe you need to pick up the phone and call that person that you've been avoiding. Perhaps the creation that you've put ahead of God is yourself. You know that deep down you actually worship you. And if God fits in, great. But if he doesn't, you've already decided to do what you want to do. Whatever it is, whatever's in your heart, God's waiting. He's not going to bring judgment after judgment after judgment, but don't think for a second he's going to leave you in a place he doesn't want you. He'll crank up the heat until you agree with him about your life. And every day that you keep resisting your heart towards God gets a little bit stiffer and it gets easier to resist. You see, in Revelation, people who don't know Jesus will harden their heart past the point of no return. But for his children, Jesus is showing us that there are areas of our lives that we haven't fully surrendered. There are areas of our lives where we really just need to agree with him. You see, it's so easy to look at people that are so obviously rebelling against God and miss the areas of our lives where we're like, God, no, no, don't, don't look there. Look over here, God. See, I went to church. God, God, don't look at that. Look over here. You see, I'm tithing. God, don't look at that. Do you know that I served in children's ministry? God, don't know. Let's don't talk about that. You see, I've walled that off. That's a room in my heart that even I don't talk about, that I don't want to go to because I don't want to face it. And God says, you have to trust me to heal everything. You see, I have to keep making you more and more and more uncomfortable until you surrender that to me. I want to talk to you about that because I want you to be more like Jesus and you can't go there with a hardened heart that has a room walled off. So this may be your moment. A moment given to you by God to examine your heart, to think about what God has done, to think about where you are with God as you approach the last days. To think about what you want to talk to God about if this is your last day. What area of your life has God been asking you to change and you've been pushing back? And if you go, you know what, I don't think there's any, then ask the Holy Spirit to show it to you because He knows. 
and you'll go, oh yeah. You see, sometimes we wall things off so long, we forget they're there. And yet they're keeping us from the very presence of God. So for the next few minutes, the altar is going to be open. We're just going to play some music. There's going to be people who can pray with you. There's and you just, I just want you to spend some time asking God, God, is there any area of my life where I'm pushing back against what you want me to do? And my prayer is that every one of us, when we leave today, will be able to pray to God anything, anywhere, anytime, any cost, and do that without any hesitation. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you show us what's coming. I thank you that you give us a chance to examine ourselves. You give us a chance to evaluate ourselves. But God, the word says our hearts are deceptive above all things. That we don't always see what you want us to see. So God, for the next few minutes, as, as everybody quiets their heart and comes before you, would you just help people give you permission to show what you want to show? to reveal what you want to see, to talk about what you want to talk about? What area of our lives do we need to change now? What area of our lives, Holy Spirit, do you want to enter into and transform as we surrender to you? You see, we don't have to change anything. We just have to allow you to open the door to the walled off part of our heart and clean it out so we can be free. So God, do your work among your people. Holy Spirit, move in this place. We love you, we thank you, and we surrender to you in Jesus' name.